Welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Ken Burke, and today I have the honor of speaking with someone that probably has one of the coolest nicknames I've ever heard of. Don Wickstrom, nicknamed the fastest pastor, joins the show today. And you may be wondering how in the world did he get that nickname, but I'm not going to spoil it. We're going to talk about that a lot today uh, because it's an unbelievable story and he has such an incredible testimony. So you're going to want to stick around today and uh, hear about that. But Don, I can't thank you enough for joining me. It really means a lot to me. Ken, I just I want to tell you, number one, first of all, thank you for what you do uh, for this podcast and the encouragement. You bring a lot of men. Um, I've enjoyed listening to it. So thank you for that. Thank you for being obedient in that. I know uh, it's not easy doing what you're doing, um, but God bless you for that. Secondly, is thanks for uh, thanks for officially being the first podcast since the movie release, the film release, uh, to have us on. So I'm excited to sit down and talk about all things Christ, man. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I, you just mentioned it a little bit, but yeah, Don, you have a movie coming out that I Am Second Productions is making of you, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I, I kind of want to get get some backstory on you real quick. Uh, so can you just start us off by explaining how you got to where you are today and a bit of backstory about your racing career and just your walk with Jesus? Yeah, so um, I guess it probably starts, you know, I've always liked cars. Uh, you know, when I was little, we, we were homeless for a little while, came from a poor family. My parents worked really hard, uh, non-religious um, Got to college and just saw a lot of hypocrisy around me with all religions, so I became an atheist and set out on about a two-year journey trying to prove every religion wrong. Did the Looked at the major, what I call four, five religions, uh, got f- through the first couple and it was easy, and I got the Christianity as last one. I thought, man, this is going to be even easier, and about a year and a half later, um, I surrendered my life to Christ. You know, it's just amazing uh, how much... Uh, accuracy the bible has historically um and you know i i I accepted my i gave my life to jesus christ on the middle of a production floor in the middle of the night um just because i knew i knew i needed him and uh racing racing i'll be in passion too poor to do it um i was actually doing shifter carts at that time i gave it up i felt like god called me away from that and uh became a, a dad and focused on that and fast forward several years, me and my wife started doing ministry and circle track and was pretty content with doing that. And then actually I got what we don't hit on in the in the in the film is I got real sick before cancer. I was in a wheelchair sixty to eighty percent of the day. And uh just through some things God did, uh met a met a doctor who's Amish and Mayo couldn't figure me out, but he did. And actually, my health was doing pretty good, and then along came the cancer, and that, that kind of sets the stage for what you see in the mm. film. Wow. Throughout this journey, I, I see that you have constantly battled with uh, cancer and getting in wrecks and car crashes and, and things like that. What has been God's role in your life through that? What's been sports role compared to that? So, I mean, I was at the pinnacle of my career, owned a robotics company. And I was on my way out to go speak at the Forbes Ag Summit, which was like the pinnacle of someone's career, you know, to be all asked to go speak there. And I just wasn't feeling right. So I told my wife on my way down, I'm going to take a flight down to go see my doctor. And then I'm going to fly out to California to do that deal. And uh, hadn't been feeling right on the airplane. You know, it's kind of funny. I just was looking at the clouds and stuff. I'm praying. I love to pray in airplanes. You get to see that beautiful view. And I felt like God had spoke to me like, hey, you're you need to get rid of that business. 
And I'm like, what? And me and my wife in the background were looking at other companies to buy. We were going to grow our company. Uh, we wanted to grow it by 400% in three years. And uh, landed. A few hours later, I'm sitting across from my doctor, and he's telling me, you know, Don, you got you got cancer. You got some things wrong with your colon. Um, if you want any chance of beating that, you're going to have to sell your business. Otherwise, I don't give you long. And, uh, you know, at first it was a little hard, um, but I had this peace in it a little bit at that moment. Like, oh, maybe that's why God spoke that to me. You know, I felt like in that prayer, he really spoke that to me. So I get on the plane and I fly out to Forbes Ag Summit, which inside I'm just dying. I'm so depressed. I'm out there. We give our speech. It went really well. Had a lot of VC money thrown our way, you know, potential money. And I just had to put a smile on and act like, yeah, I'm really interested when inside I'm just like, I was more worried about going home and what am I going to tell my group? <laughs> my managers are like my family and and what am I going to tell my wife? And so uh, I think you have a lot of time to think on airplanes again. So I had to take that flight home and, you know, I just, I felt like God just kind of through my sickness earlier prepared me for this. And so I think I was in a better, better mental state than normally I'd be, but also I kind of felt like, really, God, you're going to put us, finally, the companies where it needs to be, it grew, it was just doing great, it was running on its own for the most part, I just was kind of the face of the company, and now all of a sudden this comes in, and, and you know, I think God was just preparing me for this kind of diagnosis, and, and so I really just had to turn it over to him and say, you know, God, I'm going to trust you, I believe you spoke to me on that airplane, I believe it has to do with what my doctor found. And I'm just going to be obedient. So that's, we stepped off that plane and I decided, you know, it's, it, there's a hope that we get when we receive Jesus. And what it is, is it's a hope because the standard has changed. We're no longer measured by the world, right? We're no longer measured by our material success, how much money we make at the job, what our job role is, how big a company is. Our success is accepting Jesus Christ and knowing that we've been pulled from the depths of hell into heaven. And now my standard is heavenly bound. I measure things by God's standard. And what he tells me is I'm supposed to chase after him. I'm supposed to follow after him if I love him. And I'm supposed to become a fisher of men. And so the priority doesn't change no matter what the diagnosis is. <laughs> and so I just had to focus and, and tell my wife, um, and put it in God's hands. I mean, he, he's a God who still, still heals. He can heal miraculously. He can heal through doctors, whatever it may be. And there's times where we don't get healed and we don't know why. But my, I don't, I don't think that's really important in, 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 a, in a juncture like this because I believe God had called me to do something, and that was to sell the business and focus on my health. So wh where did race car driving come in there? Because... I mean, you had, you had the, the diagnosis and you were a Christian con convert from, you know, a couple of years ago, where in the world did that come in? Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, diagnosis came about, um, you know, we, we were in the middle of looking at acquisitions. I told my management team right up front, uh, the company actually bought us, said we were the first company that we had our whole senior management team involved. Um, and what had happened is I had a friend of mine who said to me, Hey, Don, you know, with all this going on and uncertainties, like, I would love to help you achieve something on your bucket list. You know, what what's on your bucket list? Why don't you pray about it and get back to me? And I prayed about it, and I said, you know, I, th I would really like to go to Pikes Peak, but, you know, you, I gave that up, 
you know, in, in my teenage years, I knew that wasn't going to be a reality. He says, well, he says, I'll tell you what, he says, I'm going to help you make that a reality. So, you know, I wasn't sure how that fit in, Ken, to be honest with you. I felt I prayed about it and I felt like God gave me the green light, but I didn't see like, should I be focused on this and focusing on my health and focusing on Pikes Peak is going to take away time with my family. And I feel like I have very precious time with my family. And so with anything, I went to my wife first and said, Hey, I need you to pray with me. We need to be in agreement with this. And I can't say those conversations went real well. <laughs> um, but my wife's a praying lady. And it came down to a place when we were sitting in bed. And uh, she looked at me. She says, hey, I got a question for you. Because I was kind of pressing her like, hey, I need to know if you're okay with this because I need to apply. And she said, are you going to have animosity towards me? Are you going to hate me if I say no? And uh, I remember thinking, and I said, I won't hate you, but I'll probably be a little upset and hurt because I really feel like I'm here for God. I don't know what the goal is. I don't know why he'd allow me to go do it. Maybe it was just something to bless me. I don't know. And then we started talking a little bit, and I kind of rolled over because I figured that's a no. You know, that's it's not going to happen. And then a few minutes later, she says, hey, hon, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, yeah. And she says, what if eight-year-old Don, when you made that promise to your cousin one day you're going to do Pike's Peak, what if eight-year-old Don would have seen the story of you when he was little? Would he have found hope earlier? Would you have had hope in life knowing that someone was like you and made it, that, that life wasn't always a struggle, that you found hope in Jesus Christ? And I said, yeah. Yeah, I would. And then <clears throat> I got a little choked up at this part. She just looked at me. She says, you need to go do it because you got a story to tell. And and from where I sit, I don't think my story is all that unique. I don't think there's anything special about it. There's a lot of people who struggle with harder things and bigger things. Um, but that resounded with me. If, if If I did this journey and could bring hope to just one kid, and that hope brought him to the cross and to Jesus Christ and realized that all, everything, because everything in my life, even after Jesus was a fight, right? It was always a struggle, but I had no hope, none. And now all of a sudden I have hope, you know? And so that's that's how that kind of came in. And so, you know, we're like, okay, we're gonna go to Pike's Peak. And when you think you have a year to live, you you do things and you try to do them as right as you can. That's the way we've always done them. And so, you know, I, I invoked uh, Andy from Kelly Moss and and he uh, agreed to build me a car, which I don't know any builder that would have in that short of order. And for some guy that the most he's ever done is circle track racing and some shifter cards, right? But he did. And, and we went to the hill. You know, when you when you talk to people, you know, maybe they're getting up there in age and they're thinking about their bucket list and what they haven't done. You usually don't hear somebody talking about wanting to be a race car driver. I mean, that's pretty cool like that. And that's a unique bullet point on your bucket list. But can you talk to us about Pike's peak? Because, you know, I, I've seen the track, I've seen you race on the track. It looks scary. Like I'm telling you, it looks really scary for those boats listening. And if you haven't seen it, go, to Pikes Peak, uh, their website, because it is just terrifying. So can you just flush that out a little bit? Like it is dangerous. It is life threatening. Why in the world did you want to race that? <laughs> so it all started, um, when I was a kid, you know, we were homeless. We got this first house 
and you didn't have a lot for entertainment. But on Friday nights, my cousin would come over and we would watch Star Trek. That shows you how old I am. And I can remember we were dipping carrots in vinegar. That was a cheap little treat for us. And uh, there was a special on before that about uh, Bobby Unser going up Pike's Peak and winning it. And I was hooked. I saw that car sliding through the dirt, spitting dirt out, this Audi just screaming up the mountain. And I remember turning to my cousin Wes and I said, I'm going to do that one day. And so that's kind of where that love grow. But, you know, to be honest with you, I loved the mountain. And even just to kind of show you how far removed it was from me, I just never thought it'd be a possibility too much money. I, You know, I'm not that talented. It was just three years before this or four years before this. I was actually in Colorado Springs the same weekend as the race with my youth group at, uh, at um, the Rocks. And we could hear the cars. And I remember just saying, you know, there was a day where I used to want to race that. And I said, I just think it's sailed or no way I'm going to be able to do it. And I just remember telling the guys about the race and everything else. And, you know, never did I think. But that love for the mountain, then when you go there and you experience it as a racer's point of view. So race week, you're waking up, tire test, you're waking up at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And you're getting to the mountain at 3. And so the sun's not even up. You're setting up your pits. Depending where you're at, you're freezing your butt off. And all of a sudden, the sun breaks across the horizon. And it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And you're like, God God spoke this into being. You know, how people can think it just evolved and became this beautiful is just nuts to me. But you see this beautiful sunrise. And then you get in a car and you break the silence with exhaust and turbos and everything else. And you race up. So you, you, you're broke off into three sections. You don't race the whole mountain until race day. And so whatever section you're in. So you race that section and you wait for everybody to get done. And then you all drive down. And so on the way down, you get to see all this beauty. And so a lot of times I'm just singing and praying on the way down. (laughs) And uh, it's probably good no one gets to witness that. But, uh, you know, and it's just that's what brought me to the mountain, you know. Um, It's just a beautiful place. And and the fact that I knew that God had called me to go there put me at peace. And Jeff Swartz says this about it, and he's totally right. The track is incredible. What makes it even more incredible is that you got all these elevation changes and literally the track is a, is a breathing animal. Like your first pass is second than different than your second pass. The road moves, the heaves move, uh, wind changes, you know, sunlight changes. It's, it's a living, breathing thing. But without all that, you could lay the track flat on a piece of paper and it still would be awesome. It's just that it's on a mountain that makes it just absolutely stupendous right better than anything out there and so it's incredible um i don't think i think about the dangers of it i i'm just wired a little bit different i don't have a lot of fear and it's because i feel like you know i calculate things and trust god and and i don't put myself in positions where i don't feel like god's taken me to go and so you know i think i think from that aspect you kind of you're able to enjoy things differently than most people and and I'm really not that competitive believe it or not um and so that's it's for me it's more competing against myself like I'm an engineer at heart and so just making yourself better making the car better is what's what for me is a lot of fun mm. so you talked to me about the amazing things of the track of uh you know just the exhilaration that you get but I've watched you. I mean, you crashed a couple times. I I don't want to bring up some bad memories there, but like, what was that experience like? And how how in the world did you overcome those crashes? Well, I'll take you back to the first year. 
Um, we were in a Porsche 997. I love the 997s, and, and Andy did too. And, uh, you know, it was, we went through the first two tire test weekends. They went great. We made it to race week. And the first day of race week, we were in the upper section. Someone had spilled some fluids, and no one knew about it, and it turned to ice. And I was going up the second run, and I spun hit sideways and I just ran out of talent you know I think probably a talented driver could have maybe saved it maybe um, but I hit the side of the mountain and that was it I mean it had wrecked the car beyond what we could repair in that week and I was devastated because two months before that my doctor kind of felt like I had a year to live if something didn't drastically change so I was devastated like god you 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 know I really felt like you called me up this mountain you brought me here for this you brought me here to fail and we still did fan fest so they have fan fest 35,000 people come through the streets downtown um, Colorado Springs we still went and Andy let me his car at that time to put on display and it was just incredible the people that came out and what I found is in my failure it was almost a better ministry I got to minister people every, we all fail in life. It's just, how do we recuperate from that? Right? How do we handle that? And does, does the failure define us or does it refine us? And that's what I just kept telling people. We can allow it to define us or we can allow it to, to refine us. And I refuse to let it define me. And so I allowed it to refine me. And in that, in my heartbreak and everything else I was feeling, I felt, I found people that had heartbreak too. And then when you explain to them, like, it's just a car, you know, and they'd ask, are you going to be back next year? I'm like, I don't know. You know, if it, I'm hoping because that means the doctors were wrong, but you just don't know. And, and we were able to do tremendous amount of ministry. And, and, and I mean, we saw some people have some real conversions to Christ. We saw people who were broken and hopeless. We even had one man that came with his family of six kids. He shared with me in the middle of sharing for me. I stopped him. I said, hey, you know, I feel like God's just speaking to me. I want to pray for you and just speak some things. I think he's speaking to me. And I started doing that, and he was just sobbing and crying. And I said, listen, man, here's a song from my buddy Jeremy Reeves from Band Reeves. Why don't you go listen to this and then go to I Am Second and watch this film. I gave him a film to watch. About an hour later, my guys came up to me, and they're like, hey, listen, there's this young man that's been waiting forever. He really needs to talk to you. I'm like, all right. So he came up, and he said, hey, Pastor Don, my dad was here earlier. He was this guy. And I'm like, yeah, I remember him. And he's like, I need to tell you, you answered some prayers for me. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, my dad walked away from the faith. Mm. And I and he went back to the car. He made us all go back to the car. We listened to that song. And then he started watching that video. And he started crying while watching the video, the I Am Second film. And then he, he turned around to us, and he had tears in, our, in his eyes. And he said, kids, I need you to, to, to forgive me. He says, I brought you here tonight because this is the last thing I want to do with you guys before I killed myself tomorrow. But he says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I got hope. I got hope, and I'm going to go get help, and I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to be a better dad. And that kid just, we both sat there and cried. And I'll tell you what, you know, that made the crash worth it. That made the crash worth it. Mm. And so, yeah, and then you got year two, right, which seems to be the most famous. Um, We rebuilt Bernice, the Porsche. And uh, we decided to go back again. I was still alive, so I figured let's do it again. And Jeff Swart warned me that I knew the mountain too well. And when you know the mountain too well, you're going to come up with some really good bad ideas. 
and there was a corner I felt like I could turn from a double apex corner to a single apex corner. And I remember thinking about it. I mean, the whole way up the mountain, I was thinking about it in the race car when you should be thinking about what you're driving. And uh, I got to that part, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to turn into a single apex. I'm going to stick it way out and then cut it hard and then make the straightaway longer. Well, by the time I realized that was a real horrible idea, I flew off the edge of the road um, around 100 miles an hour. We are airborne for two seconds. I don't know how hard we hit. Um, I know if you look at the film, we flip in, in faster than a quarter of a second. And uh, we experienced more than 65 Gs. How do I know that? Because the meters were pegged out. And so, yeah, it was just uh, not a fun ride, man. And I, I remember going off saying, no, 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 Lord, no, 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 no. And you hit. And I remember after that first hit, like, I can't even tell you what that felt like. It felt like someone had just taken dynamite and exploded it from inside my body. And I hit, and I just remember, like, God, not another one, not one that hard. Please, Lord, please, Lord. And I hit again hard. It wasn't as hard. And I remember saying, I won't survive another one. I remember <laughs> saying that. In that moment of that flip, as fast as it was, I felt like it was eternity. I felt like it was ever. I remember um, just thinking about my kids and my family. And then finally I landed. I mean, we had done hit endo, flipped hit again, and then half rolled, half barrel rolled, and then landed on all fours. And I was able to open the door. I mean, that's just a testament to the safety of that car and everything else. And uh, I was in a lot of pain, don't get me wrong, but I got out because there was smoke filling the cab. <laughs> and I was like, you know, when there's smoke, you need to get out. And so that's what I did, you know, and, uh, you know, took an ambulance ride and had to go see the doctor. But relatively speaking given the saw belt safety belts and virus suit and you know the equipment around the porsche and what kmr built for me you know i i walked away relatively unscathed yeah i mean it sounds like a miracle that you were unscathed because that it was scary to watch and if you do watch the movie that don is coming out with then you're literally in the car like you, your visual is in the car and you're like going over the side of the road and you're airborne and you just see the flips and you're like what in the world is going on but i want to go back to uh the family that that you spoke to after your first crash i honestly i don't know a whole lot about racing culture but i i love that you use that to spread the gospel through racing and show God through, you know, your wrecks. But how else have you seen God use you to spread the gospel? And I'm sure you find different pockets and different people that are Christians. But kind of, kind of flesh that out with me because, you know, is racing culture really Christian? Is it really secular, or, or, or is it in that in that line? Um, I mean, you know, back in the day, racing was pretty Christian entrenched. It, it's no longer that way. I mean, you know, the last. 20 years it's it's really departed from you know the basis of christianity and and that's why it has become a ministry i think that's why god called us there but you know a majority of people i'm run i run into um you got member racing a lot of it's on sundays and on top of that if it's not they're using sunday to work on their car because they got to work the rest of the week so they're not going to church they're not getting exposed to gospel most likely people around them probably aren't sharing the gospel so I would have to say probably more than half the people we speak to had never heard the gospel or didn't understand it. And so I think, you know, in our pockets, FanFest is a big one, you know, being able to be there, just, you know, letting people come into the booth, you know, they want to they autograph from you because you're racing up this dangerous race. 
I want to give them an autograph because it gives me an opportunity to talk to them and start asking about, listen, people nowadays, especially we're so lost. We're so lost in, in the, in, in the confusion of a day. So many people, you know, feel so empty. We have one in four men that are alcoholics. We have the highest rate of suicide across men and women we've ever had. We have more people dying from suicide than we do in murder and war. They need, they, and, and there's just a book that came out from uh, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson, and, and here's what he says in it, and, and it's true. I fact-checked it. M- more people who battle with those things just need someone to listen and to know that they care. And so in a brief few moments, you wouldn't believe when you ask someone like, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm good. No, no, no. I mean, and typically I'll grab their arm and say, I I really mean, how are you doing? And, you know, and they'll start pouring their heart out to you and and you'll listen and you'll say, you want to know something? I've been there. I've had no hope. I've, I've been filled with anxiety, depression, whatever it may be. I've had all those. And, and you begin to minister through loving people like Jesus did. You begin to minister to people by listening like Jesus did. And then you begin to minister by offering truth like Jesus did and by giving the scriptures. There's so many scriptures around that. And so that's what we do. And so we see it in the fans. We see it in fellow drivers. And unfortunately, typically drivers, most of the time you hear from them when there's crisis. Someone's died in the family or whatever. But I mean, we're blessed enough to be able to reach with them, praying with them before they go up the mountain. I mean, there's those kind of avenues. The other thing we've done, maybe you see it, is the I am second seconds. That's I'm amazed at how... You know, we don't get a lot of views and likes, but I'll tell you right now, probably 85% of the correspondence I get are from atheists. And I think a lot of times is people don't realize Christianity is backed up fully intellectually. So it's awesome that you can have something with faith and yet you still can be an intellectual. The world tends to believe like, oh, you got to turn off the intellectual. You got to turn off your mind when you're, when you're talking to Christians or become a Christian. That is anything but farthest from the truth. And I'll tell you what, you know, I think when we can sit there and be honest with people and we can still be intellectual about things, but yet have a heart to love people and care for people, that gets traction. So, you know, we've done it that way. My wife, through our ministry, when we're out in Colorado Springs, she makes sandwiches, goes, hands them out to the homeless. Um, we, we meet with parents. We meet with family members of racers. You know, these are all areas, the RIM Second Second Messages on, on Instagram and, and Facebook. Those have been, those have been wildly popular uh, to get some conversation going. Um, and then emails. And, and really, it's been great doing the Pikes Peak because I think there's something about that. It's it's There's a reason why they call it the most dangerous race in the world. And I think when people understand that and they, they want to know, why are you doing that? Like, why are you putting yourself in that situation? What does that look like? They open themselves up because you're being vulnerable. You're being vulnerable by, by doing that race, by opening up your pits, by being there they're willing to be more vulnerable. And in place of that vulnerability, Christ can really begin to work. And when you look back at your life, you realize why you went through the things that you went through. You realize now why you were pretty much atheist. It was to get to the atheist now that you try to preach to and try to share the gospel with. You understand that you felt hopeless back then, so you can give hope to the people that are hopeless right now. And that is... I mean, it, it, it speaks to what Jesus does, even when we don't realize it. But Amen. you've obviously battled through some intense situations in your life. Uh, a main area I wanted to focus on today was handling resilience, using resilience in times of adversity to not only get you through those times of adversity, but to glorify God through those times. 
how did you build resilience in, in these times of adversity through cancer, through atheism, through crashes? How in the world did you do this? Oh, man, Ken. You know, let me put it to you this way. Everything that is amazing in the world, everything that, that is powerful is created by pressure. Diamonds, created by pressure. Coal, created by pressure, right? Pottery, created by pressure. An engine making momentum, created by pressure. Everything that makes something more resilient is done by pressure. And that's how God works. Like my wife, I remember, you know, I remember being like, man, I keep praying for patience. I keep praying for patience. And I'm like, all he keeps doing is putting people around me to test my patience. He ain't giving me patience. And she says, no, no, no. She says, that's not how he works. He doesn't give you patience. He gives you opportunities to build patience. (laughs) And that made me so mad, you know? And I think that's how it works all along the way. God, you know, I'm, listen, I'm sinful. I'm stupid. I've put myself in some bad situations. I made some bad, serious mistakes. And every single one of those in it, I still love God. And that's where Romans sticks out, right? It says, he works all things for those who love him according to the, his purpose. All things for those who love him. I still loved him, so he was willing to make my mistakes, put me through that pressure to work it for the good and the good of his name, his glory, and for the good of my character. And so all my mistakes have been an opportunity to be put in that pressure to be able to refine me and make something bad. And out of that comes resilience. The more it's, it's like a hammer beating on, on steel, right? The more you hit it, the harder it becomes, the more resilient it is. That's how God works. And, and he doesn't delight in putting us or allowing things to happen, whatever it may be. What he delights in is the character that builds when we cling to the cross and say, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, God. I'm totally fearful and all this, but I know you got me, right? <laughs> and of course he does. And so I think that's how, and it's all these things. And I think again, Keeping the eyes on what it is really important, making the main thing the main thing, and knowing that God's not done with me until I grab my last breath. And I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, Ken. You and I, we want to go down swinging. We want to go down fighting. And until we take our last breath, we're not going to give up. And I think that's the best way to live life is if my last breath was preaching the gospel to someone and they came to Jesus, I couldn't think of a better way to take a last breath. Talking about resilience, I I love this verse from Joshua. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And obviously, we're going to be scared in times of adversity and trials, but knowing that we serve a God that is greater than any trial, cancer, any disease, any injury, greater than any car crash is so uplifting to me. But without Christ, do you think you, you would have been able to overcome these things? No. No, I, I, I tell people all the time, I, I don't know how someone without the hope and love of Jesus Christ can really get into it. Because, you know, I, I don't often talk about this very often, Ken, but there's a time in the battle of cancer, and sometimes it happens more than once, and no one really talks about it. And I think it probably happens a little bit more so to people who do it holistically like I've had to do it because of my immune system I can't do traditional therapies but um, but my doctor warned me there'll become a time where you'll you'll be so low you won't exactly be able to put your finger on it but you'll just go into this darkness 
And he says, and Satan will be knocking at your door. And he says, just be mindful of that. Make sure you got people around you. Make sure you can call someone. Make sure you can reach out, whatever it may be. But even more so, make sure you have the truth of the gospel and that you've got scripture ready at hand. And there's a moment in that movie, and I, and, and I only gave them a short bit of this because I didn't want them to see it all. But you'll notice it's like a home personal video, and you'll see me running my hands through my hair, and you can tell I'm not looking real good. That was the moment in which I started recording because I felt like myself going down. Hmm. And I can't tell you how dark that was. I I wanted to be done. I was done. Like, for me, I, I, I was done. And, and, and I remember just saying, I want to be done with this. I, if, if this is what life is, doing these kind of treatments and therapies every day and everything in your life revolves around it just to live, I, I don't want to do this. And I was just kind of feeling sorry for myself. But Satan was there, right? Satan Satan was knocking at my door, and he knew I was vulnerable. And so he'll just start speaking lies into you, right? And I was just thankful for, for, for the scriptures that I had wrote upon my heart and, and memorized, you know, and, and I think about, you know, where it says, you know, in, in Jeremiah, where he's talking about, do not be afraid. Whom can you fear? You know, these, these are things I'm thinking about Matthew six thirty three through four, you know, um, seek God, seek, seek God in all his kingdom and all his righteousness. And do not be worried about tomorrow for today. I have enough worries of its own. I'm paraphrasing, but, and I started thinking about these things and I had to, what I call engineer my way out of it with, with scripture. But I was ready to be done, and I think that's what happens to a lot of us. And if I didn't have Jesus, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. I, I, I'm fully well aware of that. I was without Jesus, we are not equipped to fight Satan. You know, and that's where, you know, Jesus talks to his disciples and says, Hey, I I'm sending with you a helper and an advocate, the Holy Spirit. I don't know how people do it. There's no I, I the first twenty some odd years of my life without Jesus were a fight every day and hopeless as all get out. They were as hopeless as hell. And, and, and you know, I mean that literally. I'm not saying that's slang. And in comes Jesus. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, I'm not ashamed to say I've had my times of weakness. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, you know, God saw me through that, that, that I had someone warn me, that I had enough scripture in my heart memorized, and that I relied on his Holy Spirit to advocate and, and stand in the way. But man, I couldn't imagine. I, I think about that every day. That's what drives me. Is is and I say this in the film. Before Jesus, there were times where I'd lie awake at night, Ken, and I would feel like the wind was blowing through me. I was so empty. And I can remember just sitting there like, is this it? Is this does this feeling ever leave? Does does tomorrow the battle and the fight just to make it through another day work? I mean, in the eyes of the world, I was successful. I had a great job. I was moving myself up the corporate ladder. I was doing, I was doing great. But I, everything was a fight, and I had to live to the world's standard. And man, I, there was no hope. And then in comes Jesus, and I've got a hope that says, you know, it don't matter the job you carry. It don't matter the title you have. It doesn't matter the car you drive. It doesn't matter the house you have. It doesn't matter how much money. It doesn't matter how big fat your account is. What matters is that I love you, I died for you, and that if you come and accept me as your Lord and Savior, I'll lift you up in heaven and in eternity, not just the 80-some-odd years you might have here, but all of eternity you'll be with me in paradise. Man, and that, that's a hope. That's a hope that when you don't know Jesus, you don't have. Yeah, that's so true.
That is so true. The connection in the Bible and running races, or in your case, driving races, is it's so prevalent, especially when you when you're looking at the Apostle Paul and James. How does that resonate with you? And you know, literally driving races, running races, and almost figuratively as well, because you you've had just a winding road of life when it comes to a race. How how does that play in your mind? Man, I think of like in in 2 Timothy 4 through 7, it says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think that key line is I have kept the faith. Hmm. You know, listen, I mean, we could fill this room up with sand and I could put one little kernel that's a different color than all of them and say, go find it, right? And it would seem impossible. That's how quick this life is compared to eternity. So I think, number one, if we set our life, if we set our eyes on how, how brief the world is, you, you, can, you can begin to put things in, in, in perspective. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians, when, it, when it's talking about, you know, the race, you know, the racers run, but only one gets the prize, right? So run the race in such a way to get it, right? That's, that's what he's telling us. And, and I think I wanted to run a race, in which to get the prize. And the prize wasn't to win the rat race. The prize was to win God's heart through my obedience to what he wants to do. Life hasn't been a bed of roses for me, and people have it worse. But I think, I mean, just to speak plainly, Ken, I have two things going for me. Number one is I was an atheist, and I was confronted with the absolute truth of, of the Bible, its accuracy, its um, resilience. It's the only religion in the world that has opened itself up 100% to secular, non-secular uh, investigations um, and, and be inspected, and it still stands. It's the only one that allows accountability. It's the only one that, that com- um, holds up. We have more original copies of the Bible than we do any other literature in the world. Um, people worry about how it's been translated. I can go back to the original transcripts today and see how close it is to the English, and, and that's been done. And it stands, so as an atheist converted to a Christian, I have that truth. And I would have to border on mental illness if I was going to say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to redefine that truth and not obey it. So there's that. Number two is God's been faithful. He's been faithful through it all. Has my life been easy? No, but he's been faithful. I feel fulfilled. I feel called. I feel loved. When I was racing, when I wasn't racing, when I was owning a business, when I was selling it, I, he's still good. Why? Because none of that changes my eternal destination. And so the only thing I know is how I run that race affects other people. There's been two times in my life where I didn't answer the calling of God. One was God called me all through the night. He wouldn't let me sleep. You need to go visit your buddy in jail. You need to go visit your buddy in jail. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was newly married. I made up excuses, and finally at 5.30 in the morning, it stopped. At 7.30 in the morning, I got a phone call from my dad that my buddy hung himself. I think what's more important isn't what it costs me. It's what, what will it cost other people if I'm not obedient. Listen, my works don't get me into heaven, but my works matter in building the kingdom. And so I need to be obedient. And I, I think about that all the time. I think about, man, I want to obey God. I want to be good about what I'm doing with my life. And, and, and it's uncomfortable. 
It is so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable to reach out to people and pray for people you don't know. It's so uncomfortable to say, hey, how was your day? Do you mind if I pray for you? Hey, could, could, could I pay for that for you? You know, hey, do you got a moment to talk? Whatever it may be, these are all things that I don't want to be the reason why someone misses it. Thank you so much for sharing that story about your, your friend because that, that speaks so much to the voice of God and how we're supposed to obey His commands and obey His word. Don, as, as we do start to wrap up today, by the time this episode comes out, this podcast episode comes out, your documentary called Chasing Hope will be out. What was the catalyst behind making that? That's the first question. Second of all, how and where can people watch this thing? Yeah. Uh, so you had to ask that question. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there had been discussions. I actually had a sponsor last year say, man, you need to do an I Am Second film. I'm like, nope, I'm good. And then John had said something to me a few times and Sean, and, and I actually turned them down. I said, no, no, I'm good. I'm not that guy. You guys, there's a lot more interesting people than me. Um, let's, let's stick to that, you know. And he had told me, he said, Don, why don't you just pray about it? You know, we've been praying about it. Why don't you pray about it? And so I went home and I told my wife and, and we started praying about it. And she, she heard pretty clearly right away. She's like, I think you're supposed to do it. I'm like, I'm not there yet. And I think some of it was just my, you know, being flesh. I, I don't, I didn't want to do that. I know it opens yourself up. I don't think I'm that interesting. Um, and so I just really started praying about it. And there were some very specific things that God had done and put people in my life who didn't know about any of this, who spoke some things into my life because they felt like God was telling it to their hearts. And it just confirmed it and confirmed it. And finally I called John. I said, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> and so <laughs> the catalyst behind it for their aspect was they felt like I was an interesting story. And, and I think because of the way I live, you, you often like in a race, you don't, you don't think about the summit when you're going up the race, you think about the next corner, you think about the thing that's right in front of you right now. And that's kind of how it's been with this journey in my life. I've just thought about what's next, what's next, you know, where are we at right now? Where are we at right now? And I think that helps reduce the anxiety and depression and 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 things that I can experience uh, uh, throughout this journey, and so I think that's part of it. Um, the second answer there is where can you find it? So if you go to I am Second, I'm wearing my I am Second shirt today. I am Second dot com. Um, you can go on there. It's going to be on there. Uh, it's the featured film right now. It's the second longest film they've ever done. The first of its kind of this type that they've done. And I do. It's been such a humbling experience. Even in the previews we've done, we've seen just God work and use it so greatly. Uh, you can also check it out. There's links on on my social media, Fastest Pastor on Instagram and and Facebook as well, and TikTok. You'll you'll see us on there, and, and you'll be able to follow it. But man, if 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 you're a listener out there, if you're if you're watching this, and 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 obviously knowing who Ken is, if if you're looking for that hope. I, I pray that this story speaks to you, but also know that I am second. I mean, I've used their stuff for 12 years now, Ken. I've been using it in ministry because there's a video for everybody where they're at, no matter what they're struggling with, that you will be amazed will give you hope. And so I pray that that can do it for you. And and even if you're a Christian and you need some encouragement or some building up, it's a great place to go. And, and, and so just in the same vein of what you're doing here, Ken, I think it's just a, a great thing what you and I am second are doing, um, you through your podcast, building up us, us Christian men, you know, and, and, and believers to do what God's calling us to do. 
And so that's, I think, the best way to live. Yeah, that's so great, Don. And I, I love that you mentioned, you don't think you're that interesting of a person, but God's using those stories no matter if you see it or not. And, you know, you've gone from an atheist to a pastor. You've gone from an engineer to a race car driver. Like, somewhere in the middle there, somebody's going to hear it and they're going to be like, wow, like, this is me. You know what I mean? But, Don, I, I just wanted to say you are truly an inspiration to so many. Uh, what you're doing for not only the racing community, but just for God's kingdom is just so amazing. Uh, and I, I just thank you so much for joining me today. Ken, thank you, man. And seriously, uh, I'm humbled that you would even think I'm worthy to be on your podcast. So thank you for that. Um, secondly, is thank you for what you're doing for the kingdom, man. Don't don't underestimate it. And man, just keep reaching people. And, and I found encouragement from you and, and your guests. And so know, know that you're where you're supposed to be and it's making a difference, brother. I really appreciate you. Appreciate it, Don. Well, for all the listeners out there, please share this episode, leave a rating and follow us on social media. And obviously go check out Don's brand new movie on imsecond.com. It will not only leave you in tears, but it will leave you with such encouragement because obviously I, I was tearing up at every single scene in that movie, but I, found, I, I left it so encouraged and so awestruck of what God has done in Don's life. But if you don't get anything else from this, just remember that God loves you and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.